If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Hebrews chapter 3 as we continue our series today. According to the American Gaming Association, about 70 million NCAA basketball tournament brackets are filled out every single year. And according to one source, after the very first game this year, number 11 seed Michigan upset number 6 seed Colorado, and less than 50% of the brackets remain perfect. After 28 games out of 70 million brackets, not one has remained perfect. And if people would just read Acts chapter 2, uh, they would know that St. Peter's makes a comeback. Um, <laughs> if you don't get that, uh, you don't care about basketball, that's fine. Uh, they were a number 15 seed that uh, is still in it. It's been neat to watch. According to the NCAA, there has never been a perfect bracket. The closest was back in 2019. Some guy picked the first 49 games right out of 67 games in the tournament. So why am I telling you all this uh, to start our sermon this morning? Uh, well, what we fix our thoughts on uh, matters. And so often our best thinking, our best strategizing, our best forecasting often falls short. And so we've been in this series walking through the letter to the Hebrews and the author of Hebrews is going to do a few things today. He's going to continue to challenge these early Christians and I believe through the Spirit challenge us to keep our thoughts fixed on Jesus. And toward the end of this letter, he's going to encourage us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in chapter 12, when he says this, that Greek word is, is insinuating that you are turning away from something so that you can look at something. That we're, we're turning away from something so that we can fix our eyes, that we can fix our gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Hebrews chapter 3, uh, let's start in verse 1. We'll jump right in. Therefore, and we'll stop right there. Um, because what you're going to see in Hebrews over and over again is this word, therefore. And you've heard me say before, if you see therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. Because something has come before it that is uh, telling what, what's going to happen or, or going to uh, inform what's going to happen next. And so over and over again, the author's going to say, therefore. Now, I've told you this. Therefore, Jesus is greater than the angels. That's what we talked about last week. Therefore. Here's some things that you need to know. Here's some things that are coming. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Have you noticed kind of the theme of holiness this morning? Have you ever considered your brothers and sisters in Christ to be holy? Not because of anything we do, but because of who we are in Christ. Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. And this word means consider carefully on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So in the Old Testament, uh, you have this idea of the, the priest. And you see this particularly in Exodus and Leviticus and, and Numbers and some of these Old Testament books. But this, this idea of priest comes, comes from uh, Moses' brother Aaron of the tribe of Levi, which traces to Levi, who's the third son of Jacob. And this is the, the tribe that is, is, is tasked with representing God to the people and also making sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. 
And so this, this idea of high priest is something that's very significant in the, the, the religious day of the Old Testament, made sacrifices for the sin on the people's behalf. And then in the New Testament, God sends apostles to declare his message of salvation from sin. Apostle just means sent or someone sent. And so in the New Testament, this is someone sent directly by Jesus. So we think of Peter, as we mentioned a moment ago, we think of John, we, we think of Paul who had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and then he's sent. But how is Jesus considered to be an apostle? The Hebrews writer says that Jesus is also an apostle. Well, that's because that word just means one who is sent. And what we know about Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 is that he is sent by the Father. And so Jesus is our apostle and he is our high priest. And this is what the author is trying to communicate here. He's made the sacrifice that is sufficient. Verse two, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Verse six, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So what the Hebrews writer is saying is not that, that Moses is not worthy of atten any attention or, or honor. Moses matters, but what the Hebrews author is saying is that Jesus matters even more. Moses is a true servant, but Jesus is God's son. So you don't diminish Moses by making Jesus superior to him. You give him his rightful place. So Jesus is the climax of redemptive history and the fulfillment of all God's Old Testament promises and prophecies. And we are God's house if, did you notice that word if in the text? If we hold firm to our confidence and hope in him. What we've been saying for the past few weeks is this idea of living out our confession. How do we live out our confession? Making a confession is an important step, but where do we go from there? How, what does it look like from there to live out that confession? If you read the book of Hebrews, it becomes obvious that the author is writing to a group of Christians that got off to a good start, but now they're tired, they're drifting, they're thinking about dropping out of the race. And I'm sure that we understand this because we know people who have dropped out of the race. Maybe that's been part of your story. You can think of a family member, you can think of a friend, you can think of your own context and your own story of someone who has dropped out of the race. This is language that's gonna be used uh, in particular later on in this, in this letter. And in verse seven, the author quotes Psalm 95 by saying this, and I love how he starts it. He says, the Holy Spirit says. And it's this, it's this reminder that that the word of God is, is divinely inspired. It's not just this textbook to be studied, but that there's, there's a, a divine inspiration to it. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And then we read this phrase that's gonna be repeated a few times, they shall not enter my rest. Today in rest, 
two words that we're going to hone in on. Uh, story of two guys that were, were hiking and uh, one of them, you know, sits down and, and all of a sudden this, this grizzly bear pops out of, of nowhere. And so the guy's sitting there and he just turns his backpack around and he takes out his tennis shoes and he starts putting on his tennis shoes and his buddy looks at him and says, hey, there, there's no way that you can outrun this bear. And what does he say? Well, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you, right? So what, what, what was the point? This is how sometimes how we think about the, the Christian life. If I'm just better than somebody else, then I'm okay. And we don't even sometimes do this intentionally. We just kind of start comparing ourselves, you know, and we start looking around the, the room or we start looking who's not here and, and we start comparing ourselves where, well, you know, I'm, I'm at least better than them or, or you know, you know, and so we, we start thinking that we're okay because of this. This is not how the Christian race works. It's not that I'm better than somebody else. I'm better than him or her, but what should we be doing? Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. You see what the Hebrews writer is doing. You see what this, some refer to him as the Hebrews preacher is doing. That he is writing to remind the reader about Moses and the giving of the law, the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years they all spent in the desert. And finally, they were allowed to enter this land that they were promised. And what's the cycle that we see? We see this enthusiastic beginning. And then we see this grumbling when things get tough. And then we see the provisions of enough to go on to stay on the path. And so the early Christians found themselves at this new stage of this old familiar story. And 2,000 years later, here we are at this new stage of this old familiar story. Man, this is a, it's a great job. Wait a minute. It's getting tough. I don't know if I can... Man, being married is great. Wait a minute. Marriage is hard. I don't know if I can, or we had a child. Wait a minute. Being a parent is tough. And I don't know if I can, being single is great. Wait a minute. Being single is tough. It can be hard. I don't know if I can, or maybe we tried to have a child and we couldn't. It was tough. It's hard. Students, oh, he's the king of my heart. Wait a minute. God being the king of my heart at school is tough. God being the king of my heart on the sports team is tough. God being the king of my heart in my neighborhood is, is tough. This new ministry is great. Wait a minute. Ministry's messy. And I don't know if I can, or this church is great. Wait a minute. This church is not perfect. They busted my bracket. What? I don't know if I can. And we see this, this same familiar story playing itself out in our lives today and in our context. And now we're facing a choice. Will you worship and serve and live out your confession? Or will you run the risk of missing out on the rest, which is promised to you in turn? Uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of rest. 
This is going to be in the next chapter. Uh, next week, I'm thankful that one of our shepherds, Nathan Heisler, is going to be bringing us a message on what it means to surrender to Christ. I'm looking forward to that message next week. And then in two weeks, we'll pick back up with this idea of rest. But in the next chapter, the author is going to say, make every effort to enter this rest so that no one will perish by following an example of disobedience. And also in the next chapter, right after he says that, this is what he's going to say. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, so this week, uh, we just had a, a busy, kind of intense week at our house. I don't know what it is about kind of the week following daylight savings, but it's just like we just changed one hour and like things just come unglued, right? I mean, people are way off on their sleep patterns. You know, people don't know how to, you know, act toward one another and, and, and myself included. And I just found myself, you know, work, school, uh, we had achievement tests in our house. We had all these things going on. I just found myself, you know, just, I mean, my heart, attitude of my heart, which just was not in the right place. And it was, it was coming out in some ways that I, I knew I wasn't thinking right about these things. And so, uh, I, and, and this is just kind of a, a warning for those of you who are, who like want to become preachers, you know, and, and because when, when you stand up and proclaim the word of God, what I found over the past decade is that so often God has to do a work in your heart before you can ever get up and share the word with his people. And this was, this was true. Once again, it's, it's happened so many times that I've, I'm not as surprised by it as I, as I once was, but I'm studying for this message today. And I, I get to Hebrews chapter three and this, this passage that we just read, uh, starting in verse 12. And I'm, sit, I'm sitting there and I, I was sitting back in, in one of these rooms, just kind of trying to get away, get a little you know, solitude and, and study time. And it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So I, I just had to text some brothers in Christ and say, hey, I need your encouragement. I need you, I need you to pray for me. My the attitude of my heart's not, not where it needs to be. And, and how often do we realize that the word of God still speaks? That the scriptures still inform us? That the scriptures still transform us and form us? Even, even today, today they do. And so I was thinking about this. One of the questions in today's connect groups is, is do you regularly confess your sins to other brothers and sisters so, so that you can have someone that you trust and, and have someone that encourages you. And I'm not saying that we go out and we just broadcast all the things and to, to everybody. And, and, but do you, do, you have your, do you have your people? Do you have a couple that you regularly confess to? Um, in 1997, uh, my grandfather passed away and his 
uh, legacy was, was one that I still remember to this day. That's been 25 years ago uh, that he passed. Uh, but he was, he was a Bach, his name, we called him Grandpa Bach. And uh, we, somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly, we're related to Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, and and that's, that's at least what I've been told. Um, I've never been able to find the, the, the linkage there because Johann Sebastian Bach had like, you know, 16 kids and multiple wives and all that. So it, it's kind of hard to kind of trace the, the family lineage there. But anyway, uh, he was a, um, he's just a man's man. You know, he was a professional boxer for a little while, served in World War II. And he, uh, he was played for the St. Louis Rams for like six weeks and then he got cut because he was, he was too short. And, and, and I, I remember after he passed, I was reading the word for myself and I was in college and I confess to you students today, I confess, I did not read the Bible for myself until I was in college. Um, and I went to church my whole life, but I did not really read the word for myself until I got into college. And, and there's a lot of that that I, I regret, uh, but I'm thankful that God had spurred me along and, and, and convicted me to start reading in college. And I did, and I, was, I remember where I was sitting. I was a youth minister intern. I remember sitting in my office and I was, I was looking at, at 1 Timothy and I got to chapter five, verse four. And I remember reading this verse at my desk. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. And I remember just being convicted by this word. I mean, I don't know if I, if tears started coming down my face or not, but there, there was a, there was a conviction and I made a decision that day that I was, I was going to love my grandmother. Well, as a widow, I was, I was going to love her well. And so we, I made the decision I was going to take her out to eat uh, at least, it, um, try to take her out to eat once a week to her favorite restaurant, which was Red Lobster. Somebody say amen about, red, about cheddar biscuits. Somebody say amen about them, okay? And so I, 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 was, I was convinced I'm going to take her out to Red Lobster every week. And, and I gave her, you know, the, the honor of paying for that every week. And um, <laughs> that's what grandmas do. That's what grandparents do. Um, but I just, I just remember her favorite dish was, was the shrimp scampi. And she just, she loved it. She loved, and, and what she loved was more than she loved this, what you see on the screen, is, is that she loved just going out to eat with my grandfather. I mean, that was one of their favorite things to do. So when he passed, you know, I was, I was committed to making this happen uh, in her life. And so this past week I went, went to Red Lobster and had some shrimp scampi. And you'll see this next picture. I, I left one for Grandma Bach um, on the table there before I left that day. But that practice formed me deeply. And how was I formed? I was formed by being obedient to the word. And I don't share that with you to, to say, hey, look, look I, I, I share that because there's something about submitting ourselves to the word of God and it's it's good and it forms us and it shows us things that are going on in our lives that we need to pay attention to there's such a thing as the deceitfulness of sin 
and it's very powerful. Scholar N.T. Wright says it this way, that you start by allowing yourself the apparent luxury of doing something small, which you know you shouldn't, but which makes you think it doesn't matter. And when it becomes a habit, you stop thinking that it's wrong at all. If the question is raised, you're ready to offer rationalizations. Everyone doesn't. This is the way the world is now. You mustn't be so legalistic. No good being a killjoy. This creates a platform for the next move. Here's something else which a while ago you would have shunned is certainly wrong, but it's quite like the thing that you've gotten used to. And before too long, you're rationalizing that as well. And once the mind has been deceived, the habit will continue unchecked. So in verse 15 of Hebrews 3, the writer comes back once again to Psalm 95. This is where he returns to. As it's just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then five questions. He asks five questions in three verses. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that we're not able to enter because of their unbelief. Here's what I think the, the, the writer is trying to, to communicate and say. That the, this warning, that the, this, this desire to to stay on the path that the author is, is trying to continue to communicate that Jesus is greater than, that all of these things that the tri he's trying to communicate, that this warning is, is not for the person that's sitting next to you. It's not for the person that is not in the room today. This warning is for you. It's for you. And, and this is a, a convicting word that the the ever-present danger which faced Christians in the first century faces us today, that once you stop believing either in the God who called you and redeemed you or in the future that he has promised you, you may simply go round and round in the wilderness and never get anywhere. And you not only put yourself at risk, you put those who you influence at risk as well. So why does the writer take so seriously Psalm 95? These two rich theological terms, today and rest. And we're going to look at rest, like I said, next time. So I want to close by centering our thoughts on the richness of the term today. Uh, today's not simply the current date on the calendar. This is not simply referring to the present tense of today. It is, is, is also referring to the human experience in the here and, and the now. So it's not just a date on a calendar. It's what's going on right now. Every day is today. Today carries the sense of urgent time, the critical moment in terms of faith, the time to decide, the, the, the kairos, the eternal now. The preacher of Hebrews knows about the human tendency to abandon the gospel for a more attractive story. He knows the real challenge for his congregation is to remain confident of and loyal to the promises of God in the muddled middle of things. 
that when the time waiting for God's promised redemption seems overly long and there's precious little evidence around in the meantime to support faith, that the danger of the hard heart is unbelief. Author Tom Long says, hard hearts do not recognize or accept their need for a savior. Therefore, the ministry to which the author exhorts his brothers and sisters is no small ministry. Exhorting brothers and sisters in Christ to watch out for an evil and unbelieving heart is an urgent task for gospel faithfulness with eternal significance. Church, perseverance in our faith, fueled by God's grace and the Spirit, is our responsibility. God is the one who began a good work in us and will bring that work to completion in the end, Philippians 1.6. God is the one who will uphold and guard us by his power through faith, 1 Peter 1.5. But today's takeaways are really about this word today. So if you're jotting down notes, I would encourage you to, to reflect on these in your small group time or in your personal time this week. We're just going to walk through those three verses once again. Hebrews 3, 13. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I just want to ask you, uh, who, who's, your, who's your one? I mean, who is somebody? You, you don't have to, Greg Cade mentioned earlier about me having a Bible degree. This is something that you don't have to have a Bible degree. You don't have to have gone to seminary in order to do this. Who's your one? Who's one person that you're going to encourage today? A text or a phone call or even better, face-to-face here in just a few moments. Get their name in mind. I've got mine in mind. Who's yours? Who's yours? Encourage one another daily. Two is this, is that today that we have come to share in Christ if we hold firm to the end. To, to be part of his house over which Christ presides as son is to be participants in Christ. And just as we participate in Christ, we share in the Holy Spirit. He's going to say that in chapter 6, verse 4. But you can't share by yourself. How many of us know this? You cannot share by yourself. We have to have each other. As Brother Elijah Anthony said a few weeks ago, I got something you need and you got something I need. We need each other in order to share. And thirdly, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And my sheep, they they know my voice. And his call remains the same. His call is continued to be, follow me. Follow me to the paradox of the cross where victory is only found in surrender. Where the good shepherd became the worthy lamb who was slain. And so church, if we confess the lamb of God as Lord, then the elephants have to sit down and the donkeys have to back away because the lamb is the Lord and worthy is the lamb who was slain.
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, your word. We thank you that it's, it's your breath and that your breath is good. And we're thankful that you have continued to uh, use your word to instruct us, to encourage us, to convict us, to keep us on the path that is fixing our gaze on Jesus. I pray today that anything that has been hardening our hearts, God, I, I pray that your spirit will do a work that only your spirit can do. That you'll, you'll take these, these words and that you'll, you'll make them your very own in the hearts of your people today. God, I pray that we will open our eyes to see the needs around us, that we will be mindful of those that we come in contact with that are, are struggling, and that we may be a people who enter into uh, those, those sacred moments where heaven touches earth, that thin space, God, where, where when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where, where that comes to fruition. Father, help us to be a people that are open to seeking those moments each and every day. Today, today, Father, is your day, and we rejoice and are glad in it. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in him we pray. Amen. If you can receive encouragement today, we would encourage you to do that. There will be a shepherd down front and a shepherd and his spouse back here in this room. Or if you would like to ask for their prayers today, they would love to, to meet with you and, and be a part of that as well. Today's the day that you want to name Jesus as Lord. Be baptized into him. We would love to celebrate that with you. Come as we stand and sing.